Good afternoon, folks. How you doing? Now, I say good afternoon. That's presumptuous of me, is it not? Because you could be listening to this in the morning or in the evening or in some completely different time block that I'm not aware with. No judgment at all. So uh, how you doing? It's just it's good to be here with you again. I've, I've missed talking to you. Um, I've had some amazing guests on lately, have I not? I mean, just between you and I, if you're a regular listener, holy smokes. I, I'll be honest with you. There are times I sit back and I'm like, who, who am I to earn time with some of these amazing people who share their knowledge with me? And, you know, I start to feel unworthy. And what's really cool about that is that you start to remember that we're kind of all in this race to the finish line together, right? And therefore, they're just wanting to share with you. So, so I love that about the tribe. One of the comments I get a lot, a lot, a lot, and I'll be honest, I don't know how to handle it. So I just give the polite Canadian answer of thank you, which is I have a lot of people come up to me and they'll say, Daryl, I've been following your content for a long time. Uh, I really love your content. Uh, I, you know, this show or that speaker or that when you did, when you talked about this on that, you know, podcast, webinar, video, event, whatever, really impacted me, you know, thank you. And I don't, I don't know how to react to that because I don't view that as anything more than just me sharing knowledge with you, just like so many others have shared knowledge with me. But what it does do is it causes me to remember, if you will, uh, a younger Daryl, a younger Daryl, when Daryl knew a whole hell of a lot less. And, and not only did I know a whole hell of a lot less from a skills point of view, how does sales work? How does marketing work? How does a company actually operate? What are the internal politics of a company? How do you work within those politics? How do you lobby to get an initiative you want, you fervently believe is critical to the success of the organization or your own success, you know, on the table and actioned? You know, how do you manage people who have seemingly massive amounts of influence, yet in your opinion, they're not necessarily any smarter or more capable than you are? Um, how do I make sure I get a good employee review? How do I make sure I get a, a wage increase? You know, how will I be measured? Where do these metrics come from? Um, the list goes on. There's so much that they never, ever teach you in school, college, university. You know, they teach you this is how accounting works and this is how what happened in history and all this other wonderful skills. But it's the soft skills. It's really the soft skills, the people skills that are so poorly conveyed. And, you know, well, I've been blessed to have a lot of guests on who talk about those tangible skills, how to open, how to close, how to do discovery. Um, you know, recently we had... Michael Badone on. That was a two-parter. That became like a master class. I literally, I, I don't know if you know the story in this one, but in the middle of that of that podcast, he was only supposed to be there for one podcast, one episode, one classic, you know, usual give or take half hour podcast. Um, the, the, the energy, the knowledge sharing, it just went off the charts. And Michael... And there's a reason I have Michael on the show periodically. He just started going off into like master class. And I watched the talk 
the clock ticking because as you might imagine, you know, we try to keep it to half an hour and I'm watching you were at 25 minutes and he was nowhere near even, like you could tell he was nowhere close to being done. And then he was 30 and there was 35 and he was 40. And, and I'm thinking, what do I do? Cause I'm going to let him go. I'm not going to stop this cat. Cause the knowledge is incredible. And, and my producer messages me and says, let's make this a two-parter. And I'm like, yes. Cause then I had permission to go the full hour. And so in real time, we turned a single episode into a two-part episode because it was an all-sharing. That's cool stuff. But you know what Michael is really not able to convey or, you know, uh, Kendra Lee is not able to convey or maybe Amy Franco is not able to convey. And these are just some of the recent guests I'm citing. What they're not able to convey because of their tenure and their experience is what it's like to be 20. 25, 28, 29, maybe 30, when you're still trying to figure stuff out and you're still trying to adapt from, you know, leaving mom and dad, all right, to going out on your own, to trying to hold down a job and pay your bills, to try to actually have some tenure under your job, to actually then starting to excel at your job because you've started to figure stuff out to actually go into best in class. And there's a journey there that they are just too far gone to relate to, but candidly, this is where all of you are at. So it's important for me to share, not just what the experts say, but what people just like you in your situation have learned. They've learned it last week, the last month, last quarter, last year, and they've applied it. So I thought to myself, who do I know that fits that mold that is that is still, uh, you know, really, I want to say this, I got to be very politically correct when I say this, relatively young and in their career, yet has made a massive progression, has had peaks and valleys, has had ups and downs, has fought with their boss and learned how to attack and how to retreat, right? And then, and then has had successes follow them throughout the journey and would be willing to come in here and share with you their lessons and learn their story. So you can relate to them as opposed to me. And of course, as you might imagine, you know best what you live with every single day. And I live with the amazing Rachel Spencer. Rachel is literally our top sales rep here at VanillaSoft. She has come into her own. She specializes in the higher education Vertical, it's part of our overall, you know, givings um, vertical where you can have different, you maybe have hospitals or charities or higher education. Maybe they're trying to raise money um, through going back to their alumni and their alumnus um, to fund other investments on the campuses. So that is a big business on its own. And even though what she's going to talk about today relates to that, she may not use words like sales or prospect because for them, She's not necessarily selling. She's fundraising. But all the core skills and lessons learned and tips and tricks and tactics and challenges are the same. So without that, I've talked way too much. Rachel, welcome to the show. Hey, Daryl. Thanks for having me. Um, obviously, as you're my boss, I didn't have a lot of stakes in whether I chose to partake <laughs> today, but I am delighted to be here uh, and privileged to, to join the ranks of the greats that have been on this podcast. 
<laughs> oh, that's funny. I love it. Well, so we're just going to have a, a, a loose conversation. I promise that this may or may not, I'm saying this won't affect your reviews. So we're good. Don't worry about that one. Uh, if you want to throw anybody else on your team, you know, Fiona, Lucy, Danielle, the whole crew under the bus, now's your chance to do it publicly. So feel free to do that. Um, so let me set the stage. So just give us quick and dirty, kind of like, what's your story? You, I'm assuming you went to school, college, university, and and, and then what's happened kind of since then? What was your journey be? And yet you have like 30, 30 seconds to do it. Go. I'm just kidding. So uh, I uh, did a law degree at Queen Mary University here in London. Uh, and during my time there, I took a job in the university call center where I was tasked with reaching out to alumni uh, and asking them to make uh, charitable gifts towards the university. Uh, and happy to say I was the top fundraiser uh, for three consecutive years. Um, and then there was a really big joke uh, amongst my family when I left university with this great law degree that I I took a job in a call center, um, <laughs> which, you know, the parents didn't love, but they, they trusted the journey, uh, or they do at least now in hindsight. Um, so I then took a job at a, a place called Listen, who did a lot of outsourced telefundraising for heaps of different charities around the UK. Uh, from there, I moved on to King's College London, where I managed the university call centre. I managed about 40 students who uh, were, again, reaching out to alumni by phone primarily uh, and asking them to make uh, gifts and donations towards the university. And while I was there, or indeed when I joined, my, my boss told me, hey, we, we've just uh, made the decision to, to buy and implement this tool called VanillaSoft. That's on you. Make it happen. So uh, the first three months of the job, I was really implementing the Vanilla Soft solution. Uh, and then uh, I used it, of course, for a couple of years to manage the team there. Uh, and at some point, I was taken out for a client dinner by our CEO, Mr. Hood. And uh, he mentioned that they were looking for uh, someone to join the team. And, and funnily enough, that person fit my description. And here I am today. <laughs> so that's that's the preview. Vanilla soft journey, at least. <laughs> now, did did you not have some time spent at an actual call center as well? Well, so that was Listen. Listen was, was between Listen. Okay, University. Yeah, so between yes. University and King's, I worked at this organization called Listen, and we were making calls for 50, 60 different charities. You never knew which day you'd come in, which charity you'd be calling for. Um, but I did that for kind of six months post-uni whilst I worked out what was going to be next, applying for jobs at different law firms, and then ultimately deciding that fundraising was for me. So I took the job at King's and the rest was history. So I got to ask, what was that like? Because you, you were working in a university environment where clearly you were, you, you know, you were very recently in the university. So you, you kind of had the whole university vibe going on. I was very familiar. And then you went to listen. What was that culture shift like? Was it a culture shift? Was it dramatically different or not? Well, I had the experience of working as a student fundraiser in the university call center, uh, and I loved it. I really enjoyed the challenge of, of cold calling people, basically, uh, and making what in fundraising is called a case for support, which is not dissimilar, I guess, to a sort of pitch, uh, and bringing people around to the idea of lending their generosity to good causes. Um, but mostly, I really just enjoyed the conversational aspect and relationship building and rapport building, um, as well as particularly in that 
that job, having the opportunity to help raise money for a lot of really good causes. Um, and happily, I was pretty good at it. So <laughs> that worked too. <laughs> now, one of the things that I want, I want the audience to understand. So let me relate, if you will, a little bit typical sales, B2B sales to fundraising, just so you understand the same pitch. So Rachel, she had, for lack of a better she had a lead. She had a qualified lead. In other words, they were alumni. All right, so we knew they they fit the ideal customer profile because they were they were alumni. So we knew that there was some some qualification there. But that's it. So when she makes the call, she's got the exact same challenge that you have in B two B sales, which is you've got that classic five, seven, twelve seconds to kind of hook them before they actually hang up on you or tell you to, you know, bugger off or whatever it is you want to say. And and then she's got to go through the exact same process of overcoming objections, um, negotiating. Now, whereas maybe she's not negotiating price, maybe she's negotiating their, their donation number, right? But hey, I'm fine donating 10 bucks, but maybe she wants them to donate, you know, 10,000 bucks, all right? So there's a big, big difference. And that's all sales skills. So let me ask you that. So Mr. Hood came to you and said, oh, we want you to come to VanillaSoft. Um, that's flattering. That's exciting. That's so basically you were recruited, right? So, um, and David can be persuasive for those who don't know him. He's just such a nice guy. Uh, don't let him fool you. He's a shark. Um, so, so what was it like when you first started with vanilla sock? Cause you've been, you know, you've been on the university scene, but now you're working for a private company. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty, um, intimidating in a way because obviously I was moving into a sales role and I had never sold anything in my life. Uh, I had a a strong feeling that a lot of the skills that I'd been working on and and building and accruing and fundraising were pretty directly transferable uh, into a sales role. Uh, And I think that is absolutely the case. You know, I still uh, adhere to a lot of the things that I was trained to do uh, in that first job at Listen in particular, Um, you know, smiling with your voice when you pick up the phone and using your personality and um, using your tone of voice, a lot of things that are quite unique to telephone-based interactions. And I think being able to build rapport over the phone is a pretty unique skill set in itself. Um, but it was intimidating. And I, I, to be honest, I nearly flunked the interview. Um, coming, <laughs> coming from the charity space, I was answering my interview questions in a kind of charity fundraising tone and persona. And uh, I almost didn't get the job because uh, I was asking, being, uh, being asked questions about, you know, do I consider myself to be financially motivated? And I was like, no, no, no. It's all about the job satisfaction. It's all about belief in what I do. And they were like, well, you yeah, moving into sales, so we kind of want you to be financially motivated. And I was like, oh, well, in that case, yeah, I'm financially motivated, definitely. (laughs) So it was intimidating, but as you say, it was flattering uh, that someone saw my potential. Uh, And what I did have at that stage, if nothing else, was a very deep understanding of the product. Uh, And I think, if anything, that was perhaps an even bigger advantage to me in taking on the role than arguably a foundation in sales, at least at that stage in my career. I agree with that. And that's actually one of the comments that I tell a lot of young sales professionals is you can't not know the product or service that Mm -hmm. you're selling because you're the voice, you're the conviction, you're the enthusiasm, you're the infectious energy. And if you don't believe in it, 
I, as a buyer, sniff that out really fast. So let me ask you this. Have you worked alongside uh, or had conversations with people about that, but you really do need to know the product and how it works? Or or do you think people can get by just winging it based on, what, on what's in that script in front of them and what they see on the collateral that they read or share? I think product knowledge is essential. Um, and if you can convey the value that a particular product offered you specifically, it allows you to kind of position yourself as the buyer. You know, I was you, I was in your position, I know your pain and your challenges, and this is why I chose to implement this particular solution. And this is the benefits that I saw as a result. So it was really helpful in that respect. That being said, I think contextual knowledge of the product is really important. So in my first year at VanillaSoft, I was tasked with selling VanillaSoft into sales teams. So I was calling and pitching people like you, VPs of sales, directors of sales, uh, you know, sales managers. And I'd never sold anything in my life. (laughs) So I felt really out of my depth in that first year. And indeed, I basically didn't sell anything in that first year because I think I lacked that um, real understanding of the people that I was selling to. And it was only then in my second year at Vanilla Soft where I made the case to David uh, and Scott once upon a time. Uh, and I think maybe this was around the time where you just joined the company because we, we, you know, it was a similar journey in terms of timing, but made the case that I really wanted to have a go at breaking into the higher ed market. Um, At that time, I had worked at one of the very few universities that were using VanillaSoft. And I was absolutely convinced that this was a market that we would play extremely well in. And again, I had the experience and the background and the contextual understanding to really be able to position Vanilla Soft in that space. And that was when my my sort of sales career began. <laughs> yeah. That's when you actually started having some, some success. Yeah, that's when I actually started right. making sales. Yeah. yeah. It started being financially worthwhile. I hear you. And so, again, folks, we keep on hammering episode after episode. Do you know your ideal customer profile? Do you truly know it? Um, one of the things that you heard Rachel talk about, I'll use a different term, uh, she, she was able to demonstrate empathy. Because she would talk about, well, when I was in your shoes, I understand you're probably struggling with this because I struggled with this, right? You may have these challenges. You may have these goals, these aspirations, these requirements that you have to deliver. Uh, and, and, and in that conversation, nowhere is she talking about features or functions. She's talking about the life they're living, all right? And it's one thing to read an ICP and understand the persona, and you really do have to just internalize that. But if you're – I've said this before. I'll tell you again. Pick up the phone and call some past customers, uh, your existing customers you have, whether you sold them or not, and just say, can I pick your brain? I just want to understand what was the challenge you were facing and why did you – what did you look at? And why, did, why, why, did, why did you pick us? And how have we changed your life? And yada, yada. Yeah. You know, that's, that's how you get to know the customers. And, and I know you're, you're like a rock star at this. So let me connect the dots where I'm going. Once you do that, and once you've been selling for a little bit, or once you call into the base, what you learn are some amazing anecdotes and stories. Mm. And Rachel, you're the queen at storytelling and sharing, you know, really earning their trust and, and, uh, faith that you have their back, uh, that you will not mislead them. And I know you do it through storytelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, certainly, so a big part of my job today, um, at least, is doing demos uh, of our software. And I would say 
probably 25% of my demo, maybe more, is storytelling. Um, so, hey, here's a feature. When I used that feature, it allowed me to do X, Y, and Z. I was really passionate about this, that, and the other, and this gave me space to do A, B, and C. And it really allows you to paint a picture and, again, continue positioning yourself as a peer. Like, I have been you. This tool genuinely helped me. Uh, and that's why I know that it could also help you because we, you know, we are we are one, if you will. We are, we are peers uh, in that way, and I think being able to establish that connection and storytelling is is huge. Um, and that was again something that I learned back in fundraising days um, that the human brain uh, is literally programmed to listen to stories uh, in a way that we are not programmed to digest statistics and numbers. You know, your brain just starts to tune out at a certain point. Whereas when you're telling a story you get captivated, you get pulled in and you can kind of see it, you can imagine it. So yeah, st storytelling is, is huge. Um, and again, just being able to be relatable uh, to the people that you are trying to sell to or add value to. You made a really interesting comment just there. You used the word, we are peers as part of your long answer and uh, and very informative answer. Um, but I like that. We've talked at length here on the show about mindset, you know, mindset could be, I'm, I'm going to, I, I expect rejection. I, I welcome rejection. That's one form of mindset. Another form of mindset is I'm a peer. I'm a mm -hmm. colleague. I may not have the tenure of somebody else, but I have the same conviction and goals and aspirations and objectives, which is to make you successful and damn it. I can help you. Let's yeah. talk. And, and that comes across your credibility. Isn't just, your storytelling, but you, you said we're peers. Like that's a mindset for you. How's that worked out for you? Like, how did you, were you always that way? Or is it something you learned to embrace? Cause all of a sudden that worked for you. Like, how did that come to be? I think a bit of both. Um, and I'm not sure it directly answers the question, but another thing that I think has really helped me is a genuine conviction and confidence in the product and, and being absolutely sure, you know, by the time I'm on a demo that this can help you. Um, and I think that is absolutely essential. It was the same in fundraising. You know, when I was training my students, I was saying, you have to do everything in your power to get to a place where you believe in the project that you're raising money for, because otherwise, how are you going to convince somebody else to get on that wavelength if you're not there yourself? Um, so that, again, I think is where the peer mentality comes in is, once again, I've been you, I've been there. I genuinely believe that this is going to help you and, and, and this is why. Um, I think also being a peer allows you to ask better questions. Um, and that's definitely been a big part of my journey as becoming better at selling, if you will, is, is getting much better at asking questions. Um, and certainly at this stage, you know, any discovery call that I do, it's 90% questions. Um, there's really no pitching happening at all versus in my first year uh, when, again, I wasn't selling anything at all. I would just pitch to anyone that would listen. I was reeking of desperation <laughs> in a way that just repels uh, sales, I think. Uh, so yeah, ha having that confidence and conviction and again, the understanding of the market allows you to relate um, and I think allows you to have much better conversations which then allows you to position your product. So let's talk about that. That's a good segue. Um, 
because I want to ask you this. So you've been with VanillaSoft for four, four and five years. I, I mm-hmm. won't go into specific, but I know that's ballpark roughly what it is. Um, so you're just at that right point in, in, in your tenure. Like, for example, recruiters, uh, if you're a recruiter, do not call Rachel. I will kick you down and I will <laughs> hurt you. Um, but you're at that, like, five years, four to five years experience selling. Like, you are, like, in demand right now because you've just got enough skills, but you're still hungry and you probably are about to, or have already just bought your first house. Um, this is the classic stereotype, right? Um, you, you may be about to embark upon a long-term relationship. So maybe there's going to be a marriage there. I'm not saying this for Rachel. I'm saying this is the, this is the stereotype. And so there's lots of financial expenditures. So this is like when we get sales reps, we're like, it's back to David's point. Are you money motivated? Well, I got a lot of bills. So yeah, I'm money motivated. So you get the five years and you're at that point in life when, when all of a sudden you have more expenses. This is your primo in a sales rep a target. Now, with that said, because you've had enough experience, you said, you know, I used to just do pitching and it made me cringe. And now I'm in much more, I approach it differently. What were some of the bad habits or bad tendencies you did then that you look back upon now and you go, Oof. or, or a different way you can answer the question, what skills have you learned to develop that you didn't have then that have paid huge dividends? So one thing I'll just mention on the tenure side of things is I think that contextual experience is huge. Um, and I know we did a, a study with the, the Telfer School in Ottawa a while ago that, that literally it was a direct cor- correlation between tenure and time in a role and your success as a salesperson. Um, so I think tenure is huge. A big part of what that has given me, at least, and also general sales experience is confidence. I think the more confident you can be in your knowledge of the product and uh, the sector that you're selling into, but also just in yourself, the more you can relax and just like have fun with the calls that you're having and the people that you're speaking to and really allow your personality to come through. So going back to your uh, question, I think in my first year, I was just I was terrified. You know, every time someone would pick up the phone, I would be terrified. I was so anxious to do a great job and ask the right questions. And I had like my discovery questions there and God damn it, I was going to ask every single one of them. And then there was that like lingering aroma of desperation in the background tinged with anxiety and fear. (laughs) So it was just a horrible thing. But I think you've just got to build that experience and confidence and it takes time, you know, particularly that was my first ever experience of trying to sell something. So for me, a lot of it, I think, has just been building that that confidence and that knowledge and experience, which just allows me to then add more value to the people that I'm speaking to, but most importantly, have fun. Uh, and I think I really believe that this is going to sound so cliche and I was thinking about this earlier, but like the you in USP is you. You got to let your personality shine through. Uh, And I think, you know, the old adage that people buy from people is true in many cases, as long as you're selling something that's worthwhile, at least. (laughs) 
<laughs> so if you're young and don't know what an acro- what USP stands for, because example, my first job, somebody somebody left me a note on my seat and they put FYI on it, and I'm like, what is FYI? They got my missing. Is this some kind of industry code? And they looked at me, and they were they were just rude. They were like, what do you mean it? What, what, you you know what it means? No, I, I have no idea what it means. It's for your information. I'm like, oh, okay. Classic case of not knowing the business thing because I'm new to business. Um, at U- USP, unique selling proposition, and you're right. You are the unique selling proposition. And you said it early on with your tone and your inflection and your energy and your smile and your voice, which is huge. Okay, so here's a question I want to I want to challenge you on. One or two or three skills that were the hardest for you to develop, and so from then to now, and and this could be the same skill or this could be another one. The biggest skill you were asked to develop or technique to apply or tactic to use or methodology to follow that you pushed back on the most that in hindsight, you're like, yeah, that was actually good advice. I didn't think it was at the time, but looking back on it, why was I giving them such a hard time? So there you go. Go for it. That's a lot, Daryl. That's a big multi-part question. Yes, it's a two-parter. Two, two or three skills that were hard to develop, well. and one that you disagreed with but turned out to be right. Okay, skills. I think question-based selling is huge. Um, that that definitely was the first journey for me. Is you know, it's not about you shoving your product down someone's throat. You know, as far as possible, just learn as much as you possibly can about that person, and then the very last thing you do is use all of that to then position your product effectively. One thing that I'm still working on um, in the context of that kind of question-based selling, but I'm going to count this as a separate thing nonetheless, is when you're at the beginning of a discovery call and you ask a first few questions and it's all lining up and you're like, oh my God, you're the perfect prospect. Every, this is it. You, you, this I love is it. you already. Yes, this this is happening. We're going to do this. <laughs> and then sometimes they'll say something like, oh, we're specifically looking for X, you know, Y and Z. And you're like, that's us. We do that. And it can be so hard even now to resist being like, we do all of those things and more and suddenly start pitching as opposed to being like, great, mental note, box is being ticked, carry on with the questions. Um Another thing that I, I'm still really working on is, and again, it's kind of related, um, really listening to the person on the call um, and being fully present. Um, I'm always like furiously typing down notes uh, as I'm having my discovery calls. And then sometimes you're missing things or they've said one thing and you're so hung up on like waiting for them to finish speaking so you can go back to it that you're actually missing some other really important information that they're sharing with you. Um, So I think, and again, like I think it's important to have a plan for the calls that you're having. And I used to have that list of discovery questions that I was going to ask, but also staying present and staying with the prospect and being open to the conversation going in a different direction, but then, you know, also keeping it focused. So a lot of stuff on the discovery call, uh, I think is where I'm still, um, investing a lot of time in trying to do a better job of those. The one advice that I rejected, Daryl, I mean, maybe you can tell me. <laughs> I'm not going there. I'm not going there. 
it's my job to challenge every single one of you guys. So uh, I, I am not going here. You have to answer it. <clears throat> so one thing, I guess that I, again, I'm still kind of struggling with it is um, avoiding feature-based selling because particularly, and I still feel this way in the higher education market that we are selling, I sell into, and I now have a team of three other ladies that are also selling into that team, which is a, into that industry, which is amazing. Um, I, I believe that it is the amazing feature set that Vanilla Soft offers that is the value. We have so many incredible different features that you can be using and playing with. Um, and I've had feedback all the time about, hey, your demos are, are really feature-based. Um, and that's something that I'm constantly pushing back on. Um, and that, you know, people say you're just dumping loads of features on them. And I'm like, yeah, but that's kind of what our solution is all about. We've got so many different things that you can be doing. <laughs> so I think the feature-based selling thing I've struggled with because I think features are important, but I do absolutely understand that it's the value behind those features that is ultimately more important. Um, and I'm still working on kind of trying to convey that more effectively on the demo rather than getting stuck in feature land. <laughs> so that's a really good conversation for a lot of reps, right? So where we push back a little bit on Rachel, and it's hard. Here's the thing as a sales leader, it's hard to push back on a sales rep who's having such success, right? Because you don't, I mean, they're having success so that they must be right, right? And maybe your belief is wrong. But some of what you're teaching reps, this is from a sales you know, leader, if you will, who has the reps under them on the team. And in and, and fairness, I want to be really clear in here. The actual day-to-day, that Rachel's boss is Catherine. And if you at all listen to any of our content, Catherine Robles, she's fantastic. Catherine is the one that manages the team. I work with Catherine. Um, so I'm one layer removed. It's all cool. But the problem is, is Catherine is caught in the middle. I tell Catherine, we don't have enough activity. We don't have this. We don't have that. I'm listening to some of the calls. I'm not hearing this. And then she goes and has to deal with it. <laughs> uh, poor Catherine. Um, so... <laughs> The challenge with the feature-based approach and just where we have the back and forth, and this is a healthy conversation, by the way. This is not – there is no right or wrong answer, but there is – whenever in doubt – remember, I've talked this to you all before. A, B, test something, and then you have your answer, all right? That's the best part, is this. We teach our reps, you don't have to lead a demo with every single feature in the world because you will overwhelm them, all right? If you do your discover discovery properly – and thoroughly, which is what she talked about, question-based selling, so important, then you can customize an initial demo to, to, to show them the features and functions that appeal to their initial needs. That can then lead to follow-on demos with other stakeholders where you get more deep on the technical side or more deep on the reporting side or whatever it might be based on that stakeholder. And and that's that's more of a patience thing and and and, and then be intentional to to Rachel's point, she she's hearing all the boxes being checked, and she just wants to jump in and say, "We do that." Let's here's the contract. Sign it now. <laughs> and hey, if it works, it works, right? That's the, that's the whole point about having a, a, a methodology to your sales framework. And there's always going to be that tension between leaders and sellers, especially the the the, the high performance sellers. All right. That tension will never, ever go away. Rachel and I will never see eye to eye on this. But in the end, she's hitting her numbers. She's going to get a lot of slack from me. That's just kind of how it works. It's wonderful that way. All right. We're out of time. 
So, Rachel, we're out if of you, time. It went so quickly. I know. It goes fast, doesn't it? <laughs> if you look back, this is your last question. You got to go quick now. Um, what's for somebody who's been in the industry, say, a year, mm-hmm. six months to a year, and they're looking to you and you say, you've been here maybe, say, five years actively selling in the B2B world. What's the advice you're going to give them based on where they're at right now from your vantage point? Stick with it. Be patient. Um, I didn't sell anything at all in my first year, and now I'm the top salesperson at the company. So <laughs> stick with it. Um, know your product. Know your market. Um, arguably, yeah, I don't know which is more important, but that's where I would be spending almost all of your time. And uh, try and have fun. And don't put too much pressure on yourself, because I think sometimes the more pressure you put on yourself, the more you just repel sales and what you're looking for. It's that horrible thing in sales where the more you want it, the less likely it is to happen. So relax, have fun. Remember the USP or the U in the USP is you. <laughs> I love it. Folks, that's Rachel Spencer. She's a kick-ass sales rep. She, uh, she's, uh, as you can tell, she's charming with lots of energy. It's infectious. It's one of the reasons she's been successful. It's the U in the USP. That's what take away. Maybe those with the, 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 the podcast name. You are the U in USP. So there we go. Rachel, thank you for your time. Everybody, give her a follow on LinkedIn. That's it. I, we're actually beyond time, but it was just a dynamite conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. A little different. Uh, in the meantime, we will see you next week. Take care, folks. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.